As always, welcome to the home of sound science. And today we have a great conversation on all things inflammation. So insulin, glucose, and indeed a measurement called ESR. And there's a new technology in a few months, hopefully, that will be able to conveniently measure this at home. And the links are down below. There's no sales here, but the links are down below to simply sign up to the mailing list to get some notification when the technology actually launches into the market. So I think that's a great idea. But in any case, let's get straight into the conversation with Bob Messersmith. Here we go. So we're going to do a kind of a short one today. I've met a very interesting guy introduced by friends who has a new technology uh, on tracking uh, inflammation which obviously is a massive issue. As you'll know, if you're on metabolicgeo.com, inflammation is the root of most of the modern chronic diseases. But this guy, Bob Messerschmidt, has actually in the past cold emailed Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs replied, met with him, and then bought out his company and a couple other startups too. So great to see you, Bob, and maybe you'll extend that introduction a little. Thank you, thank you, Ivor. It's a it's a pleasure to be uh, uh, to meet you and to be on your show. Yeah, that's exactly right. People talk about uh, whether cold emails can be successful or not, uh, but uh, but mine was. Uh, I had a technology company that I had started prior to this company. Uh, I started in two thousand eight, and for various reasons, I thought Steve Jobs would be interested in what I was doing, and I didn't know him and. Uh, so I, I guessed his email. I wrote him an email and I, I guessed the email address. And it would have ended there uh, because I guessed wrong. But I got an email back from a guy named uh, Steve at Apple.com. And he said, uh, I'm probably not the Steve you're looking for. And that's all it said. And so then I tried again with S Jobs at uh, Apple.com. And, it, and uh, that time it worked. And about a week later, I got an email uh, in my in my box, and it said, uh, "Can I call you somewhere?" And uh, of course, I typed back in uh, my uh, my phone number, and it instantly rang, and it was talking to Steve Jobs. So uh, uh, the rest is history. Uh, he was, in fact, interested in the technology. It was right at the time when the iPhone uh, the iPhone had been introduced about a year earlier, and iOS three was coming to the market, and and that was the first version of iOS that had an app store. And uh, Steve was in a, SJ as we called him, was in a, a mode of uh, looking for small acquisitions and, uh, and so forth. I wasn't looking to be acquired. I was, uh, I was looking for investment in my company. I was too dumb at the time, still am, but I was too dumb at the time to know that uh, Apple doesn't really invest. Uh, they, uh, uh, they, uh, you know, it, and and so it came to pass that uh, that uh, Steve said, "Well, the only way that this makes sense for us is for for Apple to own it." Yeah. And uh, of course, was open to that, and uh, 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 that happened. And uh, I became an Apple platform architect. And the the project that they acquired for me was was very interesting. Uh, but I think. What became even more interesting for me at Apple was my opportunity to then get read in on a different project, which was the Apple Watch, and uh, became the Apple Watch. It was just a product idea at the time. And uh, I was asked, just because of my background, I didn't talk about my background, but I, I, I'm an optics and spectroscopy guy uh, by training and experience. Before that, I was a biochemist, so that actually ties in as well. But uh, 
optics and spectroscopy, I became somewhat of a sector expert at Apple and uh, the, the people on the Apple Watch team reached out to me and asked me to architect a whole series of sensors that could that could possibly go in a watch form factor that could be used for uh, digital health purposes. So all of these uh, sensors on the back of the uh, of the Apple Watch uh, got, you know, first light, as we spectroscopists say, uh, first light was uh, in my laboratory with uh, with a small team. And uh, we saw, you know, that one by one, they've been added to the watch. Uh, it started out with the photoplethysmograph, which is, of course, measuring uh, blood pulses just to measure your heart rate. And then I think the second one that got added, which was we also architected, um, uh, my team also architected, was uh, EKG. And the third one that's in there now is uh, is uh, a, a thermometer, a temperature sensor. And that's that's pretty road standard across the industry now. But it was it was pretty early days back in that time, so it was it was quite exciting. Wow, yeah, I mean that's that's was a huge product. I never actually got one or tried one, but it was renowned pretty much. So you were in charge of the spectrox spectroscopy uh, kind of team. Uh, delivering that part of the architecture for for the Apple Watch, yeah, yeah. I mean, not a, not on a product team. So at Apple, you have these early ideation teams. It's a it's a little bit. People are more familiar with that construct at Google that they call Google X. But there are at Apple all sorts of uh, ideation teams around the company that tend to be little tiger teams of you know, led by one individual and, you know, several other individuals in the team, just kind of coming up with ideas and, and getting proof proofs of concept. So if it goes, you know, if it survives, you know, the gauntlet, uh, then it goes eventually to a product team. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So that's kind of the engine uh, behind the, the ideas and and viable ones are proven potentially viable and then take it away, product team. Exactly, exactly. Um, familiar yeah so well let's get on to the actual real meat of the matter so you've a new venture and you're zoning in on esr which people mightn't be too aware of it's not a new test but the idea of conveniently being able to do it yourself to keep an eye and track over time your inflammation levels and your autoimmune activity etc that's pretty new i think it is it is one of one of the benefits of being an obsessive sort of, you know, Silicon Valley type, uh, you know, as a lot of us are, even if we're not in Silicon Valley, um, in di in digital health, is that, you know, by really thinking about an idea deeply uh, or a biomarker deeply, you can uh, you can think about it differently. And so, most people, I think, today are thinking about biomarkers really because of their clinical diagnostic application. And um, and ESR is an important marker in clinical uh, in in clinical practice, although it's not really specifically diagnostic for anything. So it's not like you do a blood test and okay, you have cancer or something like that. It's not it's not a diagnostic, but it is an excellent uh, indicator or a screen, especially for chronic inflammation. And um, uh, so. Uh, I started thinking about, well, what do you really want in a biomarker that you're going to use for tracking? And are perhaps the characteristics of that biomarker somewhat different from what you want for diagnostics? Um, 
And so that's that's what led me to really obsess about ESR uh, because I can measure it. You know, it's it seems to me it's really important in tracking. If you're going to be doing frequent measurements, you have to make that user experience really as pleasant as possible. You know, to get somebody to give a drug if, if it's going to be based on blood, which I strongly believe. You know, the you know blood is the gold standard. So, uh, you know, there there are eventually we'll you know we'll be able to wave the tricorder at someone and you know get all the information. But uh, but for now, you need a you know a little bit of blood um, and. Uh, uh, for tracking, we wanted to make the user experience easy, and we wanted to make the per test cost low, so that so low, less pain, so that people would do it frequently, and then you can create a tracking. And uh, um, I can I can talk longer about ESR. It it uh, it's it's uh, short for the erythrocyte sedimentation rate. You're very familiar with it. Um, the um and it's it's really just that it's it's in a in a tube in a glass tube or plastic tube held vertically how rapidly do the red cells fall down leaving clear plasma at the top and that rate of falling is a complex process uh but it's related to uh, you can see you can see a cartridge here with uh, blood somewhat sedimented in it um it's a complex process that relates to the blood cells themselves becoming stickier. So they agglomerate and that makes them heavier and they fall faster. That's a sign of inflammation. But also there's a component of what's going on in the plasma uh, where if the plasma fibrinogen level is high and fibrinogen is another acute phase reactant that people measure for chronic inflammation. But if the fibrinogen level is high, the red cells also will fall more quickly. So uh, the it's complex, but uh, it uh, you know it's a it's it's come to be uh, understood to be a very good marker uh, and tracker of of chronic inflammation. Yep, for sure. And uh, you're right. The diagnostic versus the tracking kind of vector of what's going on under the hood is a distinction. I did notice uh, when I had a quick look around. There's uh, cardiac disease papers where it was. 75% specific, which is pretty good for cardiac disease. Um, but again, it's not about the specificity per se. It, it's about your kind of baseline and then where you go from there. And you know, it reminds me a bit about like GGT, gamma glutamyl transferase that got me into this sphere. It's non-specific and the doctors tend to not be interested because it doesn't give a simple answer. But GGT in the actuaries, life expectancy charts, blows away cholesterol. GGT is scary and you can lower your alcohol, GGT goes down because liver damage. You can lower your diabetes, GGT goes down. You can even resolve a SIBO or bacterial overgrowth in the intestine that's inflammatory and your GGT can go down. I know a guy with GGT, highly elevated for 10 years. He discovered himself he had SIBO resolved it and for the first time in 10 years this ggt went down so we're not here to talk about ggt but esr is a similar one not so specific but i did note as well in literature it's uncanny or very powerful to predict outcome likelihood for cancers you know depending on where it is and autoimmune conditions lots of stuff and there's an age dependency, so it's a it's kind of a natural biological clock as well, which uh, of course is uh, in the zeitgeist these days. 
but it, here's a really interesting fact. So if you look at the medical literature uh, or the standard of care for you know what your doctor is supposed to learn from your ESR reading, uh, what it says is that uh, uh, females have a higher uh, normal sedimentation rate than males. So there's a male-female differential. But then there's also this age progression. So as you get older, the, the, the normal range floats up. So you're allowed to have a higher ESR as you get older. But why, right? So it turns out that if you look at a, at a healthy, so that's in a, in a normal population, let's say all Americans, for example, um, and uh, the normal range, normal ranges are determined just by measuring a lot of people and saying, what's the 95%, uh, you know, who's within the 95%. And that's, that's, the nor that's considered normal. It's really, it's, it really is as sort of uh, uh, rudimentary as that uh, and kind of unscientific when you come right down to it. Um, but if you take a normal population, a, a healthy, I shouldn't say normal, I should say healthy, and even ultra healthy population of people, even if they're older, their ESR does not trend upwards. <laughs> yes. Oh. So, so I'm allowed, I've got a few years on me, I'm allowed to have an ESR of 30. And uh, my doctor says I'm normal, but my ESR today is three. That's yeah. And I love that because, you know, my classic example, and I was stunned in 2012 when I discovered this, it was like they handed me a propaganda tool against them, if you will, the authorities. We knew and had loads of papers to indicate that fasting insulin should be around five or lower, ideally, three or four, say, micro units per mil uh, I use. And the Institute of Medicine range was still in 2012, I'm not sure what it is today, was 5 to 25 micro IU per mil. In other words, it was from kind of probably healthy up to 10 plus, which is diabetic, almost certainly, up to 25, which is heart attacks coming soon, son. And that's the normal range. Yeah, yeah. Insane. Yeah, and and like I say, it's the, it's it's calculated exactly the same way. It's just taking everybody yeah. and saying, okay, we're going to assume that ninety five percent of these people are normal, and so that's going to be our normal range. That's it. So if you go to Katavans, uh, that'll work pretty well. Ancestral people, indigenous lifestyles, no heart disease or inflammation, really. And that that would kind of work. A truly healthy normal population but they're doing it in America. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And that's actually an, another thing. The normal ranges often are, uh, are often white males. So there are, there are indigenous populations and, uh, you know, non-white male populations for which the normal range is actually completely wrong for a, a number of biomarkers, but that's probably a topic for another day. True. No, but it's an interesting point as you tie it to, and it's like insulin resistance and insulin of course, with age, the range you should be at goes higher. They don't officially say this because they don't measure insulin, really. But but it would because everyone's getting sicker. Everyone's getting more inflamed. Everyone's getting more insulin resistant. But you need to track that and say, I want to keep it when I, when I was young and healthy. I mean, that's the target. And this device then, I hadn't heard of this before. You... Now, it's not available yet for a few months, and there's nothing being sold here, folks. But there is a waiting list to find out more when the technology emerges. 
but it essentially allows you to do regular tests at home with just your classic pin prick, which I think most people don't have a problem with anymore, really. Just a pin, it's just a tiny pin prick. It's not a, a Lancet expecting like significant chunks of a milliliter. If if your if your listeners have done uh, dried blood spot tests, that is a very heavy lancet to get you know enough blood for a uh, dried blood spot. In fact, you know it might be more than one hanging drop even. So it might be drip, 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 or even mm. up to eight drops. So you need you need a fairly heavy lancet which has kind of a blade. It's actually not even a needle. It's like a blade structure inside those. Uh, those to, to get enough for a dried blood spot. So I don't, you know, I'm not sure those are really, I mean, they're, they're not going to, um, they're not going to scale really to regular people too well. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think people who are, who are, are using them are, are doing great things because we're getting a lot of early data, but uh, I think it needs, the experience needs to be easier. Um, and so we use, we use a Lancet that, whoops is uh, they're dropping all over my desk but they're they're Classic. they're they're the lightest ones you can you can buy and uh they they really don't hurt at all cuz we don't need that much blood and we put it inside a you know really nice there's the core logo there a nice capillary tube and then that drops inside the reader device ah. like so you just uh feed it in here like that and then it has to sit for a while because uh, the blood has to sediment. And uh, when you're done, it uh, it's just going to return to your to your dashboard your your sedimentation rate for that sample. So you could do it. There's there's no reason with ESR to do it intraday. You know, glucose is one of those things where you know it's gonna it's got diurnal variation, and so you do that you do that intraday and even continuous, right? But with most other, that's kind of the rarity for most other biomarkers, your ESR is not going to change probably even much day to day as you, as you go through various, you know, finding out what's working for you. It's probably once a week. We think, we think most people are going to test once a week or maybe even once every two weeks. And so the finger prick is is kind of nothing, right? It's yeah. uh, it's going to be super super simple. And you know, funny enough, and it just occurs to me, I actually prefer with the finger finger prick rather than the anticipation of the spring loaded, which most people love. I actually prefer the little ones, like you know, you put in a cork board, a thumbtack. They come with some blood glucose meters. A little blue plastic and you snap and there's just a tiny pin maybe an eighth of an inch long and i prefer to just dab it at my finger that's my favorite method because then it's just nothing you just dab it once or twice you feel a tiny prick and squeeze and yeah yeah there it is i've got to say i've not tried that but uh <laughs> yeah those are and they're super cheap right so you can just grab one yeah. and uh they're super cheap and you know what it is it's the same as not liking injections in the dentist for me and not really liking being on a plane it's all about control any agency where i hand it control like the spring-loaded thing i don't like i like to do it myself so yeah, i don't like to not me. drive myself i always want yeah, that, to drive yeah so yeah go ahead oh no that that's super because esr is time-honored proven it's not going to show up tiny fluctuations, like you say, but if you had an occult uh, carcinoma or something, very likely because of the immune reaction, it could show that up. 
It'll show up if you're inflamed. It'll show up that your inflammation level is reducing. It'll give you a target to go after, which is a younger, healthy person's target that can be reached by healthy older people. Uh, but you'd need to be testing every week and and applying yourself to what you're doing. Fasting, you know, low-carb, healthy, real food, no vegetable oils, all the stuff. Exercise, no doubt, will also enhance a lack of inflammation once you don't overdo it. So Absolutely. Yeah, something to target. I've become a huge believer in superfoods uh, as, a, as a way to, uh, just from my own experience in measuring my ESR, you know, there are, there are certain foods that lower my ESR. So, you know, the, so the, for your first point is, is spot on that almost everybody in, you don't have to be older. It can be even, you know, a 20 year old or a 25 year old, the ESR range is already sort of the normal, normal range, right. Is already uh, trending up. Um, so most people who come to this ESR measurement, there's going to be some headroom which you can't always you can't say for a marker like HSCRP there's not necessarily any headroom left for improvement because a lot of you know young relatively healthy people are going to already be you know 0.8 or below 1 anyway which yeah. uh, you know so uh ESR because of this age dependence uh, phenomenon there's going to be headroom and there are going to be superfoods and you know supplements also, but I and uh, you know as a, I uh, I don't tend to be too much on the supplement bandwagon, but uh, I know a lot of people are. I I like foods that uh, and you know right now my my obsession is uh, is tart cherries, tart cherry juice, huge impact on my on my ESR oh. brings it. So the last time I mean it was already low at something like seven, and it took it down to three. Interesting because, well, I always just think mechanistically when a proposal is thrown out. So what we're looking at there is the superfood, whether it's organ meats or tart cherries or whatever, everyone's physiology is different, how they react is different. So you'd have to discover. But if you lower thin your, like aged garlic, say, you have a blood thinning effect, you know, lower fibrinogen, that could be a mechanism. And also... If something for whatever mechanism appeals to your immune system or suppresses an immune overreaction, um, yeah, there's lots of potential mechanisms, but you'd have to kind of discover them yourself, I guess. Yes, that's right. Well, and then there's genetics, right? My, my brother actually, uh, my brother's a heart surgeon, but uh, he has a condition called PMR, polymyalgia rheumatica. And uh, so I don't know whether I'm predisposed to that also. Before I started all of my lifestyle interventions, my ESR was 40. Um, and, uh, you know, which is actually, so it's it's diagnostic. ESR is diagnostic for a very small, you know, list of things, but PMR is one of those. Um, and uh, um, my, my, my brother does, is diagnosed with it. Um, and uh, it's just a it's a it's an autoimmune thing. So, you know, these days, you know, autoimmune things are are everywhere, you know, gut things, um, you know, there there's there's reason to be concerned about inflammation. I mean, I'm not the only one shouting about this. Uh, uh, you know, everybody is pretty well convinced that uh, inflammation is really the root of of uh, chronic disease. Um, 
And so it's it's an exciting time to be in the inflammation space. Yeah, and there's kind of a nuance there or a kind of a gotcha that the inflammation is the body's reaction to an insult. So I guess the root cause of the problem is still the insult, but the inflammatory milieu that is overextended and chronologically elevated in response to a problem that is a huge part of the disease. And it's also a great marker. All the markers, HPPLA2 and CRP and just all these markers of inflammation uh, are great ways to track your kind of path. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So when you we think might mechanistically, finish like you're saying, yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. And I will tell a little, uh, just a brief anecdote. I first found out about ESR in I think Vail, Colorado at a low-carb conference and I was talking to a good, good friend of mine, Dr. Michael Eads, brilliant, brilliant brain, so well-researched. He wrote Protein Power and sold millions of copies years ago. But we were chatting about blood tests, and I had gone into ApoB and LP little a and, you know, LPPLA2, and I was deep in all the stuff, and he was familiar with all that too. But he said to me, just as a thought, he said, you know, there's a blood test that's been around a long time and doctors just don't really care about it anymore because all the newfangled ones are out, all the shiny tools are here. But he said, I found there were many occasions where it pulled up a, a significant issue with a patient where no other blood marker was showing up, but they had a slightly high ESR. And because of the way I am, I wasn't happy with that because I knew what it meant. And it would turn out to be an undiagnosed cancer or we'd turn out to be an autoimmune issue. Nearly always it was resolvable or addressable. So that was Mike Eads brought up ESR to me. And it always stuck in my head until recently when I found out about you. And I, yeah, ah. yeah, yeah. Well, I've talked to other, I mean, there are other uh, enlightened physicians like uh, Dr. Eads sounds like he is. I have a, a good colleague, friend uh, at Stanford named uh, Dr. Tom Quartermus. And uh, he was he's he stepped down as chief as co-chief, but he was co-chief of cardiovascular medicine at Stanford. He really also likes ESR and says that uh, the rise of CRP. He he says uh, CRP had a better marketing agent. Ah, <laughs> it's it's like you know what, Bob. I have to say. I've gone deep into cholesterol. I've done countless lectures and animations, and I, I think I've really helped people understand, to be honest, uh, over 10 years. But LP little a, I looked it up and I went deep. And LP little a, in indigenous populations, eating indigenous food with indigenous lifestyles, you can go to multiple genetic different types of humans who fit that description, who have very low disease. And for them, LP little a does not predict heart attacks at all. In fact, in one study, all they found was that it predicted better cognition in later life and when you're aged, higher LP little a. That was it. They couldn't get any correlation. But in the West, of course, because we're all diseased with insulin resistance, LP little a, because it relates to clotting uh, mechanisms, does act as a correlate. But it's not the LP little a. So, yeah, there's all these tests that the industry likes and they might link to a drug and off you go. But, yeah, absolutely. But, yeah. So or they got a better reimbursement code. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's be honest, everyone or most people watching <laughs> this channel know, look, there's no conspiracy theories. It's a no. business. It's a mega business. Pharma has a revolving door with the FDA. All <laughs> of the pigs are at the trough. It's just capitalism, crony gone wild. 
So that's just same the way old, it is. Same so we need to be smart <laughs> and we need to work things out ourselves. By perforce, we must because we're, we can't depend on the docs. Yeah. You know, you know, and that was that was really um, I mean, I guess I've always had that sort of personality, um, mm. but uh, that was Steve Jobs philosophy, too. You know, that once you have so much computing power in and so much screen real estate in your hand um, and so much access to information, you can take control of a lot of these processes that you previously had to cede to experts. Nothing, nothing wrong with experts, but you're getting the sort of the average, um, you know, recommendation from population averages. And so taking control and taking these things into your own hands in a responsible way, obviously, you know, you you want to make sure you're getting good data. But uh, if you do, it's it's still the future. You know, I think it's it's just we're just early days in this in this uh, uh, in this way of thinking. Yeah. No, excellently stated, Bob, I'll have to say. And we might wrap up because I know we need to keep this a little on the short side, but maybe wrap up just with a quick review again of the technology. You have kind of mentioned it, uh, the expected timings, and then, of course, the key uh, where people go to just to sign up for a waiting list to get more information. Again, there's no sell here, but I'll put it in the description box below as well. Okay. Yeah, um, so thank you uh, for the opportunity. So we are filling a waiting list right now. Uh, we have initial units uh, in hand as I held up. Uh, uh, we are uh, running lots of blood samples. You can see all my cartridges here. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's going through rigorous testing right now. We expect to be shipping in December. The first units from the waiting list we expect to ship in December of this year still. And um, you can go to corehealth.com, that's C-O-R, core without an E. So it's C-O-R-Health.com. And uh, you can uh, click on a link and add your name to our waiting list. Yeah, so it's a uh, relatively simple instrument. So we're going to be able to sell it at, you know, consumers, you know, in order to get, we. I'm interested in helping as many people as possible. And so I want as many people as possible to be able to afford this. We're going to sell it under $200 for the reader device. So it's simple enough that we can, you know, still stay in business at that price. And uh, the, the tests we're still uh, arguing a bit about, but they're going to be on under $20 to, uh, to buy a test. You know, so that should be well within reach. Yeah, like I say, you can you can join a waiting list now, and I'd love it if your viewers would uh, go there and have a look. Yeah, that's great, Bob. And again, no sell, but you can look at it as it comes out, as it's FDA approved, and as all the data comes in, and then uh, think about it some more. Uh, just a thought, yeah, people have gotten kind of familiar because the glucose strips, I, I'm a high-volume manufacturing guy, so I'm kind of familiar. Glucose strips obviously cost next to nothing to make so they're just a book or two but then when you've got a vial and for this for the spectroscopy to to look in and i guess it's that's on the higher end but then it might no, be it'll more. scale it'll scale but uh you know that's kind of where it has to be initially but it, it will scale down as yeah. we as we as we build more yeah get them straight from shenzhen on the slow boat from china <laughs> in meter cubed packs so that they'll scale down absolutely Great stuff, Bob. Well, delighted to meet you and have that chat. And uh, I'll put the link on the screen, actually, for the last few minutes here and down below. 
Um, we'll come back closer to the time when your brainchild, you know, not blessed directly by Steve Jobs because sadly he passed before this came to fruition, but nonetheless. Yes. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. Please reach out to me in the comments. I'd love to hear from everyone. And uh, thank you, Ivor. Very, uh, very nice uh, chatting. Great stuff. Bob Messerschmidt. We'll see you next time. Bye, folks. Thank you. So there you have it, folks. Very interesting technology, I think, and uh, hopefully it'll go according to plan. So as mentioned, the links are down below. Uh, it's just to sign up for a mailing list. And then when the technology is actually launching and FDA approved, you'll just get a heads up on where it's at or what the final kind of arrangement is. So very interesting stuff and uh, best of luck till next time.